0: Chapter Three of Xerxes by Jacob Abbott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Debate on the proposed invasion of Greece. B.C. four eighty one. The two great counselors on whose judgment Xerxes mainly relied, so far as he looked to any other judgment than his own, in the formation of his plans were artabanus the uncle by whose decision the throne had been awarded to him and mardonius the commander-in-chief of his armies xerxes himself was quite a young man of a proud and lofty yet generous character and full of self-confidence and hope mardonius was much older but he was a soldier by profession and was eager to distinguish himself in some great military campaign it has always been unfortunate for the peace and happiness of mankind under all monarchial and despotic governments in every age of the world that through some depraved and unaccountable perversion of public sentiment those who are not born to greatness have had no means of attaining it except as heroes in war many men have indeed by their mental powers or their moral excellences acquired an extended and lasting posthumous fame but in respect to all immediate and exalted distinction and honor it will be found on reviewing the history of the human race that there have generally been but two possible avenues to them on the one hand high birth and on the other the performance of great deeds of carnage and destruction there must be it seems as the only valid claim to renown either blood inherited or blood shed the glory of the latter is second indeed to that of the former but it is only second he who has sacked a city stands very high in the estimation of his fellows he yields precedence only to him whose grandfather sacked one this state of things is now it is true rapidly undergoing a change the age of chivalry of military murder and robbery and of the glory of great deeds of carnage and blood is passing away and that of peace of industry and of achievements for promoting the comfort and happiness of mankind is coming the men who are now advancing to the notice of the world are those who through their commerce or their manufactures feed and clothe their fellow-men by millions or by opening new channels or new means for international intercourse civilized savages and people deserts while the glory of killing and destroying is less and less regarded and more and more readily forgotten in the days of xerxes however there was no road to honor but by war and mardonius found that his only hope of rising to distinction was by conducting a vast torrent of military devastation over some portion of the globe and the fairer the richer, the happier this scene, which he was thus to inundate and overwhelm, the greater would be the glory he was very much disposed, therefore, to urge on the invasion of Greece by every means in his power. Artabanus, on the other hand, the uncle of Xerxes, was a man advanced in years and of a calm and cautious disposition he was better aware than younger men of the vicissitudes and hazards of war and was much more inclined to restrain than to urge on the youthful ambition of his nephew xerxes had been able to present some show of reason for his campaign in egypt by calling the resistance which that country offered to his power a rebellion there was however no such reason in the case of greece there had been two wars between persia and the athenians already it is true in the first the athenians had aided their countrymen in asia minor in a fruitless attempt to recover their independence this the persian government considered as aiding and abetting a rebellion in the second the persians under one of darius's generals had undertaken a grand invasion of greece and after landing in the neighborhood of athens were beaten with immense slaughter at the great battle of marathon near that city the former of these wars is known in history as the ionian rebellion the latter as the first persian invasion of greece they had both occurred during the reign of darius and the invasion under dadis had taken place not many years before the accession of xerxes so that a great number of the officers who had served in that campaign were still remaining in the court and army of xerxes at susa these wars had however Both been terminated and artabanus was very little inclined to have the contests renewed xerxes however was bent upon making one more attempt to conquer greece and when the time arrived for commencing his preparations he called a grand council of the generals the nobles and the potentates of the realm to lay his plans before them the historian who narrated these proceedings recorded the debate that ensued in the following manner xerxes himself first addressed the assembly to announce and explain his designs the enterprise my friends said he in which i propose now to engage and in which i am about to ask your cooperation is no new scheme of my own devising What I designed to do is, on the other hand, only the carrying forward of the grand course of measures marked out by my predecessors and pursued by them with steadiness and energy so long as the power remained in their hands. That power has now descended to me, and with it has devolved the responsibility of finishing the work which they so successfully began it is the manifest destiny of persia to rule the world from the time that cyrus first commenced the work of conquest by subduing media to the present day the extent of our empire has been continually widening until now it covers all of asia and africa with the exception of the remote and barbarous tribes that like the wild beasts which share their forests with them are not worth the trouble of subduing these vast conquests have been made by the courage the energy and the military power of cyrus darius and cambyses my renowned predecessors they on their part have subdued asia and africa europe remains it devolves on me to finish what they have begun had my father lived he would himself have completed the work he had already made great preparations for the undertaking but he died leaving the task to me and it is plain that i cannot hesitate to undertake it without a manifest dereliction of duty you all remember the unprovoked and wanton aggressions which the athenians committed against us In the time of the ionian rebellion taking part against us with rebels and enemies they crossed the aegean sea on that occasion invaded our territories and at last captured and burned the city of sardis the principal capital of our western empire i will never rest until i have had my revenge by burning athens many of you too who are here present remember the fate of the expedition under Dadus. those of you who were attached to that expedition will have no need that i should urge you to seek revenge for your own wrongs i am sure that you will all second my undertaking with the utmost fidelity and zeal my plan for gaining access to the grecian territories is not as before to convey the troops by a fleet of galleys over the Aegean sea but to build a bridge across the hellespont and march the army to greece by land this course which i am well convinced is practicable will be more safe than the other and the bridging of the hellespont will be of itself a glorious deed the greeks will be utterly unable to resist the enormous force which we shall be able to pour upon them. We cannot but conquer, and inasmuch as beyond the Greek territories there is, as I am informed, no other power at all able to cope with us, we shall easily extend our empire on every side to the sea, and thus the Persian dominion will cover the whole habitable world i am sure that i can rely on your cordial and faithful cooperation in these plans and that each one of you will bring me from his own province or territories as large a quota of men and of supplies for the war as is in his power they who contribute thus most liberally i shall consider as entitled to the highest honors and rewards such was in substance the address of xerxes to his council. he concluded by saying that it was not his wish to act in the affair in an arbitrary or absolute manner and he invited all present to express with perfect freedom any opinions or views which they entertained in respect to the enterprise While Xerxes had been speaking, the soul of Mardonius had been on fire with excitement and enthusiasm, and every word which the king had uttered only fanned the flame. He rose immediately when the king gave permission to the counselors to speak, and earnestly seconded the monarch's proposals in the following words. For my part, sire, I cannot refrain from expressing my high admiration of the lofty spirit and purpose on your part which leads you to propose to us an enterprise so worthy of your illustrious station and exalted personal renown your position and power at the present time are higher than those ever attained by any human sovereign that has ever lived and it is easy to foresee that there is a career of glory before you which no future monarch can ever surpass you are about to complete the conquest of the world that exploit can of course never be exceeded we all admire the proud spirit on your part which will not submit tamely to the aggressions and insults which we have received from the greeks We have conquered the people of India, of Egypt, of Ethiopia, and of Assyria, and that too, without having previously suffered any injury from them, but solely from a noble love of dominion. And shall we tamely stop in our career when we see nations opposed to us, from whom we have received so many insults and endured so many wrongs every consideration of honor and manliness forbids it we have nothing to fear in respect to the success of the enterprise in which you invite us to engage i know the greeks and i know that they cannot stand against our arms I have encountered them many times and in various ways i met them in the provinces of asia minor and you all know the result i met them during the reign of darius your father in macedon and thrace or rather sought to meet them for though i marched through the country the enemy always avoided me they could not be found they have a great name it is true but in fact all their plans and arrangements are governed by imbecility and folly they are not ever united among themselves as they speak one common language any ordinary prudence and sagacity would lead them to combine together and make common cause against the nations that surround them instead of this they are divided into a multitude of petty states and kingdoms and all their resources and power are exhausted in fruitless contentions with each other i am convinced that once across the hellespont we can march to athens without finding any enemy to oppose our progress or if we should encounter any resisting force it will be so small and insignificant as to be instantly overwhelmed in one point mardonius was nearly right in his predictions since it proved subsequently as will hereafter be seen that when the persian army reached the pass of thermopylae which was the great avenue of entrance on the north into the territories of the greeks they found only three hundred men ready there to oppose their passage when mardonius had concluded his speech he sat down and quite a solemn pause ensued the nobles and chieftains generally were less ready than he to encounter the hazards and uncertainties of so distant a campaign xerxes would acquire by the success of the enterprise a great accession to his wealth and to his dominion and mardonius too might expect to reap very rich rewards but what were they themselves to gain they did not dare however to seem to oppose the wishes of the king and notwithstanding the invitation which he had given them to speak they remained silent not knowing in fact exactly what to say all this time artabanus the venerable uncle of xerxes sat silent like the rest hesitating whether his years his rank and the relation which he sustained to the young monarch would justify his interposing and make it prudent and safe for him to attempt to warn his nephew of the consequences which he would hazard by indulging his dangerous ambition at length he determined to speak i hope said he addressing the king that it will not displease you to have other views presented in addition to those which have already been expressed it is better that all opinions should be heard the just and the true will then appear the more just and true by comparison with others it seems to me that the enterprise which you contemplate is full of danger and should be well considered before it is undertaken. When Darius your father conceived of the plan of his invasion of the country of the Scythians beyond the Danube, I counseled him against the attempt. The benefits to be secured by such an undertaking seemed to me wholly insufficient to compensate for the expense, the difficulties, and the dangers of it my counsels were however overruled your father proceeded on the enterprise he crossed the bosporus traversed thrace and then crossed the danube but after a long and weary contest with the hordes of savages which he found in those trackless wilds he was forced to abandon the undertaking and return with the loss of half his army the plan which you propose seems to me to be liable to the same dangers and i fear very much that it will lead to the same results the greeks have the name of being a valiant and formidable foe it may prove in the end that they are so they certainly repulsed Dotus and all his forces vast as they were and compelled them to retire with an enormous loss your invasion i grant will be more formidable than his you will throw a bridge across the Hellspont, so as to take your troops round through the northern parts of europe into greece and you will also at the same time have a powerful fleet in the aegean sea but it must be remembered that the naval armaments of the Greeks in all those waters are very formidable. They may attack and destroy your fleet. Suppose that they should do so, and that then, proceeding to the northward in triumph, they should enter the Hellespont and destroy your bridge. Your retreat would be cut off, and in case of a reverse of fortune, your army would be exposed to total ruin your father in fact very narrowly escaped precisely this fate the scythians came to destroy his bridge across the danube while his forces were still beyond the river and had it not been for the very extraordinary fidelity and zeal of histias who had been left to guard the post they would have succeeded in doing it it is frightful to think that the whole Persian army, with the sovereign of the empire at their head, were placed in a position where their being saved from overwhelming and total destruction depended solely on the fidelity and firmness of a single man. Should you place your forces and your own person in the same danger, can you safely calculate upon the same fortunate escape? Even the very vastness of your force may be the means of ensuring and accelerating its destruction, since whatever rises to extraordinary elevation and greatness is always exposed to dangers correspondingly extraordinary and great. Thus tall trees and lofty towers seem always specially to invite the thunderbolts of heaven." mardonius charges the greeks with a want of sagacity efficiency and valor and speaks contemptuously of them as soldiers in every respect i do not think that such imputations are just to the people against whom they are directed or honorable to him who makes them to disparage the absent especially an absent enemy is not magnanimous or wise and i very much fear that it will be found in the end that the conduct of the greeks will evince very different military qualities from those which mardonius has assigned them they are represented by common fame as sagacious hardy efficient and brave and it may prove that these representations are true my counsel therefore is that you dismiss this assembly and take further time to consider this subject before coming to a final decision perhaps on more mature reflection you will conclude to abandon the project altogether if you should not conclude to abandon it but should decide on the other hand that it must be prosecuted let me entreat you not to go yourself in company with the expedition let mardonius take the charge and the responsibility if he does so i predict that he will leave the dead bodies of the soldiers that you entrust to him to be devoured by dogs on the plains of athens or lacedaemon xerxes was exceedingly displeased at hearing such a speech as this from his uncle and he made a very angry reply he accused artabanus of meanness of spirit and of a cowardice disgraceful to his rank and station in thus advocating a tame submission to the arrogant pretensions of the greeks were it not he said for the respect which he felt for artabanus as his father's brother he would punish him severely for his presumption in thus basely opposing his sovereign's plans as it is continued he i will carry my plans into effect but you shall not have the honor of accompanying me you shall remain at susa with the women and children of the palace and spend your time in the effeminate and ignoble pleasures suited to a spirit so mean as for myself i must and will carry my designs into execution i could not in fact long avoid a contest with the greeks even if i were to adopt the cowardly and degrading policy which you recommend for i am confident that they will very soon invade my dominions if i do not anticipate them by invading theirs so saying xerxes dismissed the assembly his mind however was not at ease though he had so indignantly rejected the counsel which artabanus had offered him yet the impressive words in which it had been uttered and the arguments with which it had been enforced weighed upon his spirit and oppressed and dejected him the longer he considered the subject the more serious his doubts and fears became until at length as the night approached he became convinced that artabanus was right and that he himself was wrong his mind found no rest until he came to the determination to abandon the project after all he resolved to make this change in his resolution known to artabanus and his nobles in the morning and to countermand the orders which he had given for the assembling of the troops having by this decision restored something like repose to his agitated mind he laid himself down upon his couch and went to sleep in the night he saw a vision it seemed to him that a resplendent and beautiful form appeared before him and after regarding him a moment with an earnest look addressed him as follows and do you really intend to abandon your deliberate design of leading an array into greece after having formally announced it to the realm and issued your orders such fickleness is absurd and will greatly dishonor you resume your plan and go on boldly and perseveringly to the execution of it so saying the vision disappeared when xerxes awoke in the morning and the remembrance of the events of the preceding day returned mingling itself with the new impressions which had been made by the dream he was again agitated and perplexed as however the various influences which pressed upon him settled to their final equilibrium the fears produced by artabanus's substantial arguments and warnings on the preceding day proved to be of greater weight than the empty appeal to his pride which had been made by the phantom of the night he resolved to persist in the abandonment of his scheme he called his council accordingly together again, and told them that, on more mature reflection, he had become convinced that his uncle was right, and that he himself had been wrong. The project, therefore, was for the present suspended, and the orders for the assembling of the forces were revoked. The announcement was received by the members of the council, with the most tumultuous joy. That night Xerxes had another dream. The same spirit appeared to him again, his countenance, however, bearing now, instead of the friendly look of the preceding night, a new and stern expression of displeasure. Pointing menacingly at the frightened monarch with his finger, he exclaimed, "'You have rejected my advice.' you have abandoned your plan and now i declare to you that unless you immediately resume your enterprise and carry it forward to the end short as has been the time since you were raised to your present elevation a still shorter period shall elapse before your downfall and destruction the spirit then disappeared as suddenly as it came leaving Xerxes to awake in an agony of terror. As soon as it was day, Xerxes sent for Artabanus and related to him his dreams. I was willing, said he, after hearing what you said and maturely considering the subject, to give up my plan. But these dreams, I cannot but think, are intimations from heaven that I ought to proceed Artabanus attempted to combat this idea by presenting to Xerxes that dreams were not to be regarded as indications of the will of heaven, but only as a vague and disordered reproduction of the waking thoughts, while the regular action of the reason and the judgment by which they were ordinarily controlled was suspended or disturbed by the influence of slumber. Xerxes maintained, on the other hand, that though this view of the case might explain his first vision, the solemn repetition of the warning proved that it was supernatural and divine. He proposed that, to put the reality of the apparition still further to the test, Artabanus should take his place on the royal couch the next night to see if the specter would not appear to him. You shall clothe yourself, said he, in my robes, put the crown upon your head, and take your seat upon the throne. After that, you shall retire to my apartment, lie down upon the couch, and go to sleep. If the vision is supernatural, it will undoubtedly appear to you. If it does not so appear, I will admit that it was nothing but a dream." artabanus made some objection at first to the details of the arrangement which xerxes proposed as he did not see he said of what advantage it could be for him to assume the guise and habiliments of the king if the vision was divine it could not be deceived by such artifices as those xerxes however insisted on his proposition and artabanus yielded he assumed for an hour the dress and the station of the king and then retired to the king's apartment and laid himself down upon the couch under the royal pavilion as he had no faith in the reality of the vision his mind was quiet and composed and he soon fell asleep at midnight xerxes who was lying in an adjoining apartment was suddenly aroused by a loud and piercing cry from the room where artabanus was sleeping and in a moment afterward artabanus himself rushed in perfectly wild with terror he had seen the vision it had appeared before him with a countenance and gestures expressive of great displeasure and after loading him with reproaches for having attempted to keep Xerxes back from his proposed expedition into Greece, it attempted to bore out his eyes with a red-hot iron with which it was armed. Artabanus had barely succeeded in escaping by leaping from his couch and rushing precipitately out of the room. Artabanus said that he was now convinced and satisfied. It was plainly the divine will— That Xerxes should undertake his projected invasion, and he would himself thenceforth aid the enterprise by every means in his power. The council was accordingly once more convened. The story of the three apparitions was related to them, and the final decision announced that the armies were to be assembled for the march without any further delay it is proper here to repeat once for all in this volume a remark which has elsewhere often been made in the various works of this series that in studying ancient history at the present day it is less important now to know in regard to transactions so remote what the facts actually were which really occurred than it is to know the story respecting them which for the last two thousand years, has been in circulation among mankind. It is now, for example, of very little consequence whether there ever was or never was such a personage as Hercules, but it is essential that every educated man should know the story which ancient writers tell in relating his doings. In this view of the case, Our object in this volume is simply to give the history of Xerxes just as it stands, without stopping to separate the false from the true. In relating the occurrences, therefore, which have been described in this chapter, we simply give the alleged facts to our readers, precisely as the ancient historians give them to us, leaving each reader to decide for himself how far he will believe the narrative in respect to this particular story we will add that some people think that mardonius was really the ghost by whose appearance artabanus and xerxes were so dreadfully frightened chapter three